I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Will UK taxes have to rise to pay for the pandemic? A leaked Treasury document shows the government is pondering some taxing questions. And in today's Money Show podcast, we will discuss what could happen and when. And financial planning is a topic we know many of you are turning to under lockdown. Here to give some tips on what to prioritise is Michael Martin from Seven Investment Management. Welcome to The Money Show, the FT's weekly podcast about personal finance and investing. I'm Claire Barrett, FT Money Editor, bringing you all of this week's money news. With estimates that the UK budget deficit could stretch to an incredible £337 billion, speculation is mounting that the Chancellor, Rishi Sunak, will need to increase government borrowing and contemplate raising some taxes in order to balance the books. Last week, a leaked Treasury document appeared to show that the government was considering steps including raising income tax and potentially ending the triple lock on the state pension, both measures that would break its manifesto promises. Now, the government says it's too early to speculate, but when and how and where the Chancellor could raise taxes in the future is something that our resident expert, FT Money reporter Emma Ajumang, has been writing about. Welcome to The Money Show, Emma. Hi, Claire. So the killer question for you, should we be braced for higher taxes? Um, Yes, this is definitely the killer question. I mean, I think that, as you were saying, the massive hole in the the public finances suggests, yes, we, you know, it's likely at some point taxes are going to have to increase. Um, And I should say that obviously the Chancellor has a range of different levers that he can pull. So it's not just tax increases. He could increase borrowing. Um, and some say, you know, that that arguably could be enough. But um, the tax experts I was speaking to were saying for credibility um, in terms of, you know, how to manage the UK's public debt, it's likely that the government is going to have to increase tax rises at some point just to ensure, um, you know, the UK remains a, a credible place to do um, business. There's certainly public support for some tax rises, according to a YouGov poll that the FT reported on um, a couple of weeks ago. People would understand that some money needs to be paid back to cover the cost of the pandemic because the government has been paying so much out in terms of the furlough scheme and other forms of support. But there are also lots of areas of the tax system that Rishi Sunak's predecessors in number 11 have tried for a long time uh, you know, to iron out um, changes, problems, and haven't been successful. So he could use this as kind of air cover um, for 
making some unpopular decisions that have eluded previous chancellors. Yeah, definitely. I think so. Um, and I mean, some of the areas that are those tricky areas that you mentioned that um, the Treasury has been wanting to do something on for a while include um, national insurance, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, do you remember the sort of um, white van man protests um, a few years back when the then Chancellor Philip Hammond tried, tried to increase some of the self-employed um, national insurance rates um, because there is this difference between what self-employed people pay um, and I, they pay 9%, usually if they're earning um, more than £9,500 um, a year, I believe. And for employed people, um, they pay 12%. So there's that 3% differential. And there's also the difference in that employed people, um, their employers also pay national insurance at 13.8%. So that's something which, um, you know, the Chancellor actually did say when he was creating the self-employed um, support scheme for people who you know, need some money during, to get through this crisis, he did say that people should expect increases in taxes because if we're all going to get the same benefits, he said, um, we should all expect to pay the same amount. So that's a heavy hint that there's going to be changes in that area. And uh, then two other things on national insurance that you're, the experts that you speak to in your piece um, have have predicted. Well, firstly, um, could they end uh, that people who are in receipt of the state pension but still working don't have to pay national insurance? Certainly, um, a few people um, on the video debate yesterday were, were mentioning that. But also, could they equalise the starting point of national insurance with income tax and potentially raise the rate of national insurance that higher rate taxpayers pay? Yeah, I mean that's definitely something that was that was suggested to me by several tax experts that I spoke to that there could be um, this harmonisation between when income tax starts to be paid and when national insurance starts to be paid. Because currently it's um, nine thousand five hundred pounds for when NI starts to be paid, and it's twelve thousand five hundred for income tax. So bringing those two things together to say that they're both at twelve thousand five hundred. Um, would simplify things, but there would be a kicker for um, higher rate or people earning more than £50,000. Our experts think they think that the Chancellor is likely to do away with the lower rates of um, NI that people pay when they earn over £50,000. Currently, if you're earning more than £50,000, you pay NI um, at twelve percent, if you're employed, up until that fifty thousand pounds, and after that, you pay NI at two percent. Um, so we think that's likely to go, and that could make a significant impact. One of your experts calculated somebody on a hundred thousand pound um, salary. If um, they did increase that rate of national insurance, um, the difference to net pay would be as much as as five thousand pounds a year. So one of the other areas that will concern money readers um, in particular is pensions tax relief. Now, before uh, the last budget, the Chancellor, uh, the then Chancellor, um, Sajid Javid, was um, rumoured to be looking at removing um, higher rate pensions tax relief. Then, of course, there was a big row over the NHS. And of course, Mr Javid was replaced a couple of weeks before the budget with Mr Sunak. And the whole question of tax relief appeared to go away. But this could yet come back. And also the pensions triple lock could be endangered. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you mentioned that last week there was that leaked Treasury document that 
um, you know, was released to, to the press and it actually did mention the triple lock um, a decision to end that. And they thought that in the Treasury document, it said that that would produce an annual savings of eight billion pounds a year. So that's definitely something the government is obviously already even, even receiving estimates on. So that's one to watch. And then the other issue, as you pointed out, is pensions tax relief. And um, yeah, I think that from the conversations I had with tax experts, they definitely felt that if there was ever going to be a cut to the pensions tax relief for higher earners, this is the time that the Chancellor would do it. Because, you know, previously it's been considered a sort of nuclear option because um, it really would hit traditional Tory voters. But now, given the state of the U- of UK public finances um, and the fact that so many people have, have sort of sacrificed so much to um, tackle this pandemic, I think that this is a moment that the Chancellor could decide to, you know, just say, that's it, everybody gets a basic pension tax relief. And one area that FT money readers will be particularly concerned about is all of the talk about a potential wealth tax. Now, this hasn't come from the government. This is you know, very uh, rooted in speculation um, from think tanks and other sources. But what is your feeling about the likelihood of a wealth tax? What could it look like if one does actually happen? Yeah, um, I mean, the Labour Party has, in some guys, sort of talked about a wealth tax off and on um, the last few years. But you know, this is a policy that traditionally the Conservatives have you know, been highly opposed to. So it would be a massive <laughs> sort of uh, deal and, and um, change of opinion for them to to take it on board. However, um, wealth taxes in the past have been used across Europe. I mean, there were quite a few wealth taxes that were brought in after the end of the Second World War. And people are saying, obviously, the, the kind of public, the hole in the public finances is of a scale that it is... It is of that magnitude and so desperate times, desperate measures potentially. Um, and in terms of how it would work, it there's, there's different ways, but effectively it would be a percentage, taking a percentage of people's um, net wealth across various assets. Um, it would be up to debate as to what those assets would include, but it include, could include things like property, pensions, investments, cash in the bank, um, art, all sorts of things that potentially could be included. And a wealth tax would be just taking a percentage of the net wealth of a person, um, either on, as an ongoing yearly tax or potentially as a windfall tax. Um, the people I spoke to for my article last week were, were suggesting that it would be more likely to be a windfall tax just to cope with the exceptional measures we've had recently. And finally, Emma, some experts suggest that tax cuts could potentially be in store to stimulate certain areas of the economy, such as perhaps the property market. Yeah, um, the property market is an interesting one because obviously um, a lot of people, you know, their, their wealth is, is quite strongly tied to property. Um, but on the other hand, you know, the, the market's been very badly hit by the lockdown and you know, people not leaving houses people not selling houses, etc. And the government desperately wants to get the economy going and get the housing market moving as, as part of that. And so some tax experts were suggesting that one way they could do that is to um, cut stamp duty 
either sort of below a certain threshold, um, for example, £750,000, any transactions below that would not get stamp duty, or even, um, you know, abolish the additional um, 3% stamp duty surcharge for second properties. That might be a quick way of encouraging people to um, put their, their properties, you know, to just get back into into the property market. Well, thanks very much there to Emma Adjumang, FT Money Reporter. You can read Emma's piece, How Could Taxes Rise to Pay for the Pandemic? Now via ft.com slash money. My next guest says his job as a wealth manager is to prepare his clients as much as possible for the unexpected. Well, the events of the past few months have certainly tested the best laid financial plans of pretty much everyone. So Michael Martin from Seven Investment Management is here to talk to us about how we can start to reassess our financial plans in the light of the pandemic and also use the opportunity of lockdown while it lasts to make them even stronger. Welcome to the podcast, Michael. Hello. So one of the crucial aspects of financial planning, as people are currently finding out, is working out how much cash they might need in the future. Yes. So working out the cash is a very personal thing, I think. And it's something you should sort of think about yourself with your with your family and your advisors. Some people are happy with a very, very low cash balance. And sometimes people just think, OK, if I really need some money, I'll go into the credit cards and work out how to pay them for my normal expenditure in the future. Others have, I've got some clients with more than a million pounds in cash. It's it's looking at your requirements and making sure you have an amount of money that makes you comfortable. And once you've come up with that amount that's comfortable, then you can invest and relax and do some longer term planning. But it's a very personal thing. So I've said, you know, you can do two, three years, one year expenditure. It really does depend upon um, the individual and depends upon what they're wanting to do themselves. So it's a very personal thing. And there's no right or wrong answer. And and as you pointed out in your column, one of the strange things about this um, stock market crash has been that spending requirements have gone down um, under lockdown rather than rather than gone up. So there are fewer things um, if we can't get out and about or go on holiday um, that we can spend our money on. But a question that you're frequently asked by your own clients is: Should they stick to their plan when it comes to investing, or? amend it. And certainly that's weighing on a lot of people's minds at the moment. Well, plans should always be adaptable. And if from one year to the next, everything is the same and nothing has changed, then stick with the plan. If a new child or grandchild or something like that has come along, then adapt. But stick to the fundamentals. What were you trying to achieve? When were you trying to achieve them? Do you still want to achieve those things? If so, then stick to those things. So stick to the fundamentals. But a plan should always be adaptable. And every year, the minute you make a plan, it's almost out of date. Inflation changes, the growth rate changes, all the assumptions are always going to be slightly out. So from one year to the next, it's going to be slightly different. But as long as the fundamentals are correct, stick to it unless they've changed. And if they've changed, adapt the plan. Lockdown is a good opportunity for everyone to think about tackling outstanding financial paperwork. Certainly, I've got a few things that are still on my list. But what kind of things do you think listeners should be considering? Well, this is the um, interesting part of, of these sort of times. People feel as though I think they've got a little bit more time on their hands. Once you take commuting out of your um, diary and, and socialising, you, you've probably got a little bit more time than you used to. 
And these are these are usually over the Twixmas days, which are the days between Christmas and New Year. Yes. And during those times, I usually get a lot of emails from clients who are starting to dig out paperwork. People should be digging out paperwork. They should be looking at their wills, power of attorneys, their expression of wish or who, who their pension goes to if they die. They should be looking at their pensions, what funds they're in, what charges they're, they're, they're having on the, on the funds, looking at their capital gains tax. But more importantly, especially at, at times like these where people are worried about their own mortality, I think you've got to talk to your uh, loved ones about what your wishes are and what you're doing in your will. Talk to people while you're alive. Talk to your uh, beneficiaries. Explain to them the decisions you've made because the next time they hear this information, you won't be around to discuss it. Tell them what's going to happen. Tell them why you've made the decisions and ask them if they have any questions now. Deal with all that while you're alive. And then the, then the grieving process will a lot, be a lot more uh, simpler for them. Now, Michael, there were a few naysayers um, in the FT comment section underneath your column who were saying, well, all of this advice um, is very well and good. But, you know, FT readers would know all of this stuff. It's very obvious. And, you know, why are we um, wasting paper by um, telling people to, to do these kinds of things? I mean, yes. What's your response to that? Well, I do love the FT readership, and I do get people sticking up for me, which is lovely. So there's a nice little battle happening online between those who think it's okay and those who think it's obvious. Um, I'm going to answer that with sort of three way, three answers. The first one is I was trying to think of things that people can accomplish in lockdown without witnesses, without face-to-face advice, without too much complexity. It's things that people can actually do. And yes, that probably means they're a little bit simpler than normal, but these are not normal circumstances. The second answer is, um, once you look after the fundamentals, which are pensions, ISAs, CGT, dividend allowance, CGT allowance, um, investment bonds, you can get yourself up to about an income of about £100,000 net per annum in retirement, as long as you structure yourself correctly. And that probably covers quite a lot of the readership, I would think, in retirement. And Mm. it's trying to get the fundamentals correct. And once you've done that, then you can start to talk about the more complicated things. I can talk about family investment companies, trusts, all sorts of things. But they're very t- tricky to do in, in, in lockdown, I would say. They're probably a post-lockdown conversation. My third answer is, I once sat down with a client who's, who worked for Goldman Sachs. He was an MD at Goldman Sachs. He's a very, very wealthy man, incredibly intelligent, doing quant analysis and all sorts of things. And he'd come to me because he'd read in various newspapers – probably one of them in the FTs, are talking about school fees planning. He said to me, I'm not doing any school fees planning. I need to do something. What do I do? I've read all these articles. I, it doesn't make any sense to me. Should I be paying in monthly? Should I be putting money into ISIS? And I said to him, you've got millions of pounds. What we're going to do is take 700,000 pounds from here. We're going to put it in an account over there. And we're going to call that your school fees account. And he said, that is brilliant. You are a genius. That is the most <laughs> incredible piece of advice I've ever received. So I don't have to worry about it. I said, no, because you've already got the money. He said, but that has been plaguing my mind for months and months and months. So he was an incredibly intelligent person, incredibly rich person, but he couldn't understand. as just a simple aspect. He, he had already done his uh, school fees planning by having enough money. So sometimes the simple things get missed. And that's why I try and make sure that people don't miss things. 
Well, Michael, we're very grateful, um, as always, for the comments that you give us in your in your column that help us prepare. If you want to read Michael's column, it's on our website, How to Prepare Financially for the Unexpected on ft.com slash money. And Michael, I understand you're on Twitter now, so readers can also follow you there. What's your handle? I am indeed. If you could follow me on at 7im underscore Michael M, that would be wonderful. Fantastic. Well, that's it from the FT Money Show today. If you would like to get in touch with me or our team of experts, you can email us our address money at FT.com. We are also on Twitter. If you want to follow our live news updates, then at FT Money is the handle to follow. The FT Money podcast was produced in London by Lucy Warwick Ching. We'll be back next week at the usual time. Goodbye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.